Well, I hope you guys are doing well this morning. Uh, welcome to Redeemer City Church. My name is Matt. I'm one of the leadership residents here. And so what that means for those of you who are new, uh, it means I'm in an internship type training here at Redeemer City for the work of pastoral ministry, the ministry of the word and prayer. And today, uh, our pastor has been generous enough to let me preach uh, and continue our series in 1 Samuel. And so we're studying the life of David. Uh, David was a prophet. He was the king of Israel. uh, And most importantly, he was God's chosen servant for those people. And as we continue in our series today, we will be in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30. So if you have a Bible with you or uh, if you have the Bible app on your phone, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Give you a couple minutes to get there and we'll get started. I think we got everybody just about there. I'm going to read all of chapter 30, so we'll start in verse 1, and uh, we'll jump right in and see what God's Word has for us this morning. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, this is what the Word of God says. David and his men arrived in Ziklag on the third day. The Amalekites had raided the Negev and attacked and burned Ziklag. They also had kidnapped the women and everyone in it from youngest to oldest. They had killed no one, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men arrived at the town, they found it burned. Their wives, sons, and daughters had been kidnapped. David and the troops with him wept loudly until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had also been kidnapped. David was in an extremely difficult position because the troops talked about stoning him, for they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David said to the priest, Abiathar, son of Amalek, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it to him, and David asked the Lord, should I pursue these raiders? Will I overtake them? The Lord replied to him, pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them and rescue the people. So David and the 600 men with, went with him. Uh, they came to the Wadi Bezor, where some stayed behind. David and 400 of the men continued the pursuit, while 200 stopped because they were too exhausted to cross the Wadi Bezor. David's men found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. Then they gave some pressed figs and two clusters of raisins. After he ate, he revived, for he had not eaten food or drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, who do you belong to? Where are you from? I am an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite man, he said. My master abandoned me when I got sick three days ago. We raided the south country of the Sherathites, the territory of Judah, and the south country of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David then asked him, will you lead me to these raiders? He said, swear to me by God that, that you won't kill me, 
or turn me over to my master, and I will lead you to them. So he led him, and there were the Amalekites spread out over the entire area, eating, drinking, and celebrating because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from twilight until the evening of the next day. None of them escaped except 400 young men who got on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. He also rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was missing from youngest to oldest, including the sons and daughters and all the plunder the Amalekites had taken. David got everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, which were driven ahead of the other livestock, and the people shouted, This is David's plunder. When David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to go with him, and he'd left and had left at the Wadi Bezor, they came out to meet him and to meet the troops with him. When David approached the men, he greeted them. But all the corrupt and worthless men among those who had gone with David argued, because they didn't go with us, we will not give any of the plunder we've recovered to them, except for each man's wife and children. They may take them and go. But David said, my brothers, you must not do this with what the Lord has given us. He protected us and handed over to us the raiders who came against us. Who can agree to your proposal? The share of the one who goes into battle is to be the share, the same as the share of the one who remains with the supplies. They will share equally. And it has been so from that day forward. David established this policy as a law and an ordinance for Israel, and it still continues today. When David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a gift for you from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. He sent gifts to those in Bethel and Ramoth of the Negev and in Jatir, to those of Arer and Sifmoth and to the Estimoah, to those in Rakal in the towns of the Jeremelites and the towns of the Kenites, to those in Hormah and Bor-Ashan and in Athash to those in Hebron, and to those in all the places where David and his men had roamed. So we're continuing our series in the life of David. And we enter into a scene in David's life in 1 Samuel, where it's actually the last scene we're going to see before he steps in, before we see any scenes in 2 Samuel, it's the last scene we're going to see of David's life uh, before we enter into our Advent series. And it's important, actually, that this is the last scene we see in David's life. What we arrive to is finding David in a difficult position. And if you were here last week, you already know that David was already kind of in a pretty difficult position, right? So uh, Achish, the leader of the Philistines, has reason to doubt David this warrior who seems to have defected from his people. And now that Achish didn't trust him and didn't let him go fight with the Philistines, now David has walked into both his own people, the people of Judah, plundered, as well as the Philistines, the people he was secretly serving, plundered. The text says uh, that for David to be in a the text says that David was in a difficult position, and, and that's a bit of an understatement if you would agree. It's a bit of an understatement. I don't know about you, but I have often found myself in a position where 
I can at least say, you know, this is really bad. <laughs> but no one's dead. <laughs> at least no one's dead. And the text is kind of letting you know, like, David's in a really difficult position. They plundered everything. They burned down a whole town. They kept the people alive, though. <laughs> nope, no one's dead. This is really bad. My wives have been, my wives have been taken, but no one's dead. My soldiers' families and all their possessions, they've been absolutely pillaged, but no one's dead. And if you've ever been in a predicament like that, and you're saying, you know, you look at, you look at David's life, and you're kind of saying to yourself, well, I don't, I don't know if I have it that bad. I, I want you to know this morning that the text is not giving you a way to compare your difficult situation to the one you see David in right now and diminish that difficulty through that comparison. That, that's not what's happening this morning. This is a really bad circumstance, and the Lord has much to teach us from what he does in bad circumstances, how he works in his people through bad circumstances, but this is not to quell any of the difficulty of anything you might be facing right now or have faced or maybe you know you're about to face. This is about what the Bible has to say about where confidence in our God comes from. That when faced with difficulty, this is about confidence in our God in the midst of difficulty. Look what the end of verse 6 and verses 7 through 9 say. It says, But David found strength in the Lord his God. His family's taken. His troops have been pillaged. The Philistine land and the land of Judah, God's people, pillaged. Cities burned and left in ruin. And where did David find his strength? In the Lord his God. David goes to the priest, Abiathar, and he says, bring me the ephah. This is the way in which, at this current period, that David, as a leader, was going to come into the presence of God to make the request that he was about to make. And what was that request? It says that David asked the Lord, should I pursue these raiders? Will I overtake them? And the Lord replied, in the midst of this difficulty, David asked the Lord, and the Lord replied, he said to him, pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them. So here's our first point. God hears the cry of his people and responds with what is necessary. God hears the cry of his people and responds with what was necessary. David didn't look to his own power. He didn't have any power to look to. He couldn't look to the power of his army. But if you notice, he also didn't turn his eyes away from the battle. He looked to God. He looked to God's power. He remembered God's track record in every battle he's ever faced up to now. And he depended on God to be the same Savior and Lord as he did when God selected him to be his chosen servant and king. As Christians in the 21st century, we may need to wonder, 
whether or not we've bought into the lie that says comfort equals a lack of hardship and that true peace is only in the lives of those who have it easy. We need to ask ourselves, are we trying to find comfort in the world's means? What is this peace that surpasses all understanding? Does it work itself out in a situation like this one? I think the word of God would be telling us yes. Because we can find comfort in the Lord our God. We can run to him. As Christians, we must seek the Lord through his word in times of trouble. He has promised deliverance in his presence and by his word. And sometimes we can be right about the character of God in the wrong context. God has made many promises. He has provided much blessing and has been faithful to remain true to his word in many circumstances in the story of Scripture. But we can remove ourselves from the context of the people he was doing that for. And I think that's a mistake for us as Christians. Jesus promised blessedness in the Beatitudes. We did that series not too long ago. Jesus promises blessedness in the Beatitudes. And the final bit of blessedness that Jesus promises is, blessed are you when others persecute you and revile you on my account. What does Jesus say to do when you receive that blessing? He said, rejoice and be glad. I get it. That sounds wild. Like, you follow Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. You follow Jesus, you're actually going to have a life like his, right? Like, you, if you've been buried in his death and raised with him, you're actually literally in his life. And if you are, that means that life is going to be like, life is going to be like what it was for him, for you. It's not going to be an easy road. And Jesus says you're blessed when you're persecuted on behalf of him. God was not providing the blessing that he was for David and his troops because they brought anything to the table. As you could tell, they were pretty emotionally distraught. They lost everything, and they could do nothing about it. God does this work for sinners and sufferers. He was doing it for the lawless and the rebel. He was doing it for those whom the Bible would deem evil and inwardly corrupt in heart, needy and sickly, with no hope for a cure. Every person that Jesus interacts with in the New Testament, isn't that what they look like? I think about the woman with the discharge of blood for 12 years who had seen many doctors and gotten no help. I think of the paralyzed man brought to Jesus by his friends on a stretcher. They were going to do anything to get him to Jesus, even if it meant coming through the roof. I think about the Roman soldier who knew what it meant to be under authority and have one purpose, but knew he was not worthy to have the Son of Man walk into his house to heal his kid. But Jesus performs that feat from a distance because of his faith. This is why Christianity can't be a religion of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get at it. 
You can't do that. God has made promises according to his character and his power. God hears the cry of his people and responds with what is necessary. Therefore, we must seek the Lord in times of trouble. He promised deliverance by his presence and by his word. And so what was the result of David's ask? What's the result of going to the Lord, looking for power in battle? After all, you've probably sought the Lord time and time and again. I know I have. And yet there seems to be no relief in front of you. No provision of strength. Where does it come from? The text continues to tell us that David and the 400 of his 600 men, so he's not going in with all of his forces into this battle, that they march through the Wadi Bezor, that they meet an Egyptian of all people. That's very interesting. Who happens to be working with the Amalekites as a slave and got abandoned by them. And after making an oath to return him, to not return him to them, David catches them enjoying their plunder and absolutely slaughters them for over 24 hours. As wild as that is, for God to provide for David, you might be thinking, good for him. I'm glad that victory was his. Glad that there was a kind of breakthrough and transformation that was his. Glad there was a kind of provision for him that was his. Where's mine? Maybe you're thinking, Lord, I'm still asking. Will you fight my battles like that? Here's our second point. God uses his full strength to fulfill his promises, and he finishes what he starts. If you pay close attention to the text, remember, it was God who told David that the Amalekites would be overtaken. And boy, did he deliver. It was God who told David. And this time, Instead of David being David the shredder, right, all of his heinous acts that we got to see happen as he was working for Achish, all of the ways in which he moved forward in his own power and caused so much death and chaos. David became, through God's word, David, God's mighty warrior king, by God's declaration and promise. What a better story that is. Think about your own life. Do you think the story you're currently living is the best one? Let me ask you. Does the ending to each day of this life, this story you live, leave you craving more? Well, look no further. Here's some good news for you. The good news is that God actually offers each of us a new story. The good news of God is that as creator of the world, he purposed us to be his good, valuable, and image-bearing creatures. 
who would enjoy his presence and fulfill his purposes. However, instead of enjoying the story of our lives, humanity chose to rebel against God, throwing the world in chaos through our breaking fellowship with the God who gave us life. What was the result? Well, we're separated from God with no hope of a better story than sorrow and suffering. There is a good news part, I promise. God didn't let it in there. He entered into that story as a human being in the man, Jesus Christ. And the reason that our story could be a better one is because Jesus flips the script. You see, he steps into the human story as one of us. All the tragedy, all the pain, the lack of perfection and obedience to the Lord in our lives. Jesus is completely perfect in his active obedience towards the Lord. And why did he do it? The book of Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he went to the cross, despising the shame, enduring the pain. For the joy set before him, and that joy was the fact that your story would be rewritten by faith in the work of Jesus He lived for you. He died for you. He went to a criminal's cross to be executed on behalf of people who are actually lawless. And he didn't stay dead. (laughs) He actually ascended. He defeated death in the grave. He ascended to the right hand of God where he now sits as our mediator for all of us who have believed this truth. What a better story that is. And even then, it's a story of participation. All of us get to continue God's mission to see the kingdom made up of many people who will share this faith story. And the end result is a people who will worship God for his victory that he accomplished and will worship God through the words he gives and the actions done in faith in Christ Jesus. So remember this, Christian. When the Lord brings victory... We celebrate, and as we await victory, we live by faith in who God is. Now, all of this sounds really encouraging, and I sincerely hope that as you read the text, you can see David's life and grow in your faith in God's character. But I think it really doesn't take place in our lives if that same character we see in God isn't so contagious that is in ourselves as well. Look at verses 18 through 30. I'm going to read them. That way we can take a close look. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. He also rescued his two wives. Nothing of theirs was missing from the youngest to the oldest, including the sons and daughters and all the plunder the Amalekites had taken. David got everything back. He took all the flocks and herds which were driven ahead of the other livestock and the people shouted, this is David's plunder. When David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to go with him, he had been left at the Wadi Bezor. They came out to meet him, to meet the troops with him. 
When David approached the men, he greeted them. But all the corrupt and worthless men among those who had gone with David argued, because they didn't go with us, we will not give them any of the plunder we recovered to them, except for each man's wife and children. They may take them and go. But David said, my brothers, you must not do this with what the Lord has given us. He protected us and handed over to us the raiders who came against us. Who can agree to your proposal? The share of the one who goes into battle is to be the same as the share of the one who remains with the supplies. They will share equally. And it has been so from that day forward. David established this policy as a law and ordinance for Israel, and it still continues today. When David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here is a gift for you from the the plunder of the Lord's enemies. David had the character shaped by the victory that only came by seeking God in his word. It is only by God. If you came in this room thinking that you had any power to change your own story, if you came in this room thinking that God does some things and leaves the rest up to you, If you came in here thinking that you had to be mighty in battle, knowing that the king of kings has fought all of your battles up to this point, I'm here to remind you that God has the victory by his power and his promise on his timeline. This is not going to happen by you. And when it happens in his time, you will not be the only one victorious. Brothers and sisters, if you were going to be the only one victorious, we would not be a multiplicity of people in this congregation. Amen? We are a people for God's own possession. We are his treasure. Why did he secure victory? Because we are his children. Fathers in the room, you understand very much so that you cannot just show favoritism to one kid. (laughs) And you know that there is a love that swells in you for your children. How much more, God? If we who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more, God? He is perfect. He is faithful. And he is just. He will hand over his enemies. Vengeance is his. So, what's our way of bringing back the Lord's plunder? There has to be a way to do this. There has to be good news to give to people where there is. Just as David brought back the Lord's plunder and tells the news of God defeating his enemies on behalf of his people, so we as the body of Christ bring the good news of the gospel to our city. In every place that we dwell, we are to be a temple of worship. It's not just on Sunday. The Spirit of God, I'm pretty sure, fills us seven days a week, 24-7. We must go forth and declare the good news. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent.
and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, open our lips and our mouth will proclaim your praises. God, forgive us for what we have left undone and forgive us when what we do is contrary to what you have assigned for us. Father, we pray that like David, in the midst of despair, we would seek your very heart. Father, we pray that God, as a people who have received the plunder of your enemy, that Lord Jesus, you have crushed the serpent's head. He is under your feet. That God, all of your enemies are like a footstool to you. You sit enthroned as king over all. And not just that, but you say that you will be with us always in the work of baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and making disciples to bring to the obedience of faith. Lord Jesus, empower us to do this by your Spirit. Holy Spirit of God, help us to walk in the newness of life that we would produce fruit that you love and not walk according to the flesh. It's in the name of Jesus we lift up all of these things to you.